This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hey, is this an intervention of some kind to get me to get the vaccine? It's not an intervention. So now y'all going to do vaccine intervention. Look, Ma, I promise there's not a white van coming to pick you up. When the good folks at More Than a Vote asked me to do a podcast on the COVID-19 vaccine to carefully and thoughtfully explain the deep reluctance to take the vaccine in the African-American community, I estimate that it took me, oh, three seconds to agree. The reason I agreed so quickly is because of the woman that you heard at the very top of this podcast. Well, thank you for having me, baby. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. You're my own personal surgeon general, so (laughs) it's all good. That's my mother, Denise Denard. She is among the millions of Black people who are extremely hesitant to take the COVID-19 vaccine. I'm sure many of you listening right now have heard a lot about the hesitancy in our community, but what hasn't been discussed nearly as carefully or as thoroughly or as critically is why. Medical mistrust goes back centuries. The last 400 years haven't necessarily been kind to black and brown folks in this country. While people have blamed the healthcare system's historically racist treatment of African-Americans for the reluctance to take the vaccine, it's much more complicated than that. In this episode, I'm exploring those complications with the help of top black medical experts, policymakers, and even the Reverend Al Sharpton, who was once very hesitant to take the vaccine. And now he's helping to make sure African-Americans have the right information about the vaccine, as well as the access. And you have to tell them the Lord makes things available to you. And that vaccine is one of them. But before getting to our experts and a very important special guest, let me share with you my own vaccine story. It starts with where I was vaccinated because that's important. I was vaccinated in South Central, right in the heart of where the 1992 unrest took place after the officers who brutalized motorist Rodney King were acquitted. Here's the situation from South Central. Oh, look at that. Terrible. And there's no police presence down here. They will not enter the area. But a lot of people don't even call the area where I was vaccinated South Central anymore. Some folks call it South Los Angeles because it was renamed that by the city council in 2003. Like many companies seeking to revive a sagging brand, South LA is starting with a name change. Now, it was renamed this because of its hyper-violent ghetto stereotype. Those are not my words, but the words of Cal State Northridge geography professor Ronald A. Davison. Despite the fact that somewhere between 500 and 750,000 people live in this community, mostly black and brown folks, when they began distributing the vaccine at a local health center, a large percentage of the people who showed up to get vaccinated there were 
white. We didn't know white people was up to something until they started showing white people in line and all the white people looked like they had a secret to keep and shit. One person whose identity I'll keep a secret was fed up with this. And so this vaccine fairy godmother, if you will, spread the word that if anybody black wanted to get vaccinated, all they had to do was come to the clinic, use a specific password. And I am not kidding about this. And once the clinic reached the point in the day where they had leftover vaccines, they would be able to get vaccinated with priority. So basically, I followed that time-honored African-American tradition of getting the hookup. It was crazy because when I went to get vaccinated, I wore a hoodie, sunglasses, a Kango. Bullshit you not, because I didn't want to get recognized. It was a whole thing. But if getting vaccinated meant I had to wear one of Diddy's shiny suits from the late 90s slash early 2000s, I would have done it. I was highly motivated for one important reason, or rather because of one important person. When I got vaccinated, I hadn't seen my mother who lives in Michigan since January of 2020. She's been in almost total isolation because she has some medical issues that make her particularly susceptible to COVID. It's been hard. Because I've been isolated, you know, by myself. It's been very, very hard. It's been depressing. I've been angry. I've been tearful. I've been mad. As her only child, this broke my heart. I wanted to be able to safely see her because I couldn't live with the idea of potentially infecting her and maybe dealing with some irreversible outcome. While we had a good time on Zoom on Thanksgiving, as she helped me duplicate her outrageously good macaroni and cheese, it wasn't enough. To borrow a phrase I've heard from a lot of old black folks, I needed to put my eyes on her. And as much as I desired to get vaccinated, there is a plot twist to all of this. That desire isn't shared by the one person I did it for, my mother. I can't take the regular flu shot. So you're going to tell me this one is okay? Over the course of the last year, my mother and I have had 511 conversations about why she doesn't trust the vaccine and why she won't get vaccinated. But I didn't just want to dismiss her hesitancy. I wanted to unpack it because I know there are so many black people who feel the same way she does. So in order for me to unpack it, I had to understand it. So with that being said, let's dive in. The first thing you need to understand about my mother is that she loves medicine, like loves it, loves it. When I was a kid, I had to suffer through my mother watching a lot of very corny medical shows. At least I consider them corny at the time. St. Elsewhere was one of her favorites. Luther, are you going to stand here and ask me about every animal in the zoo? I mean, I got a lot of patience to see. That's where we saw a young Denzel Washington begin to emerge as a major star. She also loved some dude named Marcus Welby. I'm Marcus Welby. Steve Kiley. Did you ever consider general practice? Yeah, I've considered it. I've also considered breaking my leg in three places. Now, Marcus Welby, M.D., aired from 1969 to 1976 and starred Robert Young and James Brolin. As a kid, I couldn't understand why you love those boring old medical shows. And then I later learned that your childhood dream was to be a doctor. So what made you want to be a doctor? 
I think it was always in me, just born with that destiny intact. Uh, your grandmother, when we were little, buying an encyclopedia set for us, I would read about the different places, but I would also look up uh, different things like different animals and the human body one, the one on the human body where you could see the skeletal system, the heart circulatory system. It was so cool. I knew I wanted to be a doctor. I always found that to be interesting because I absolutely hate science and I hate math and you're so much better at these things I know, than I am. I know, I'm so sad. <laughs> I know, I got the writing. While her dreams of becoming a doctor didn't materialize, she became a certified medical laboratory technician. She also has a master's degree in public health administration. And on a personal level, she has a lot of experience with the healthcare system because she not only had to deal with her own medical issues, which included major back surgery and having hepatitis C, she also was my grandmother's primary caretaker when she was alive. When she had a stroke, they just threw a list of nursing homes to put her in. And I'm like, well, if you think I'm going to let you just suck up her Blue Cross, Blue Shield, and Medicare for years, and then just throw her into a nursing home, they just gave me a list of paper, a list. Well, about 30 or 40 nursing homes. Now, you're talking about my grandmother, who faced a lot of health challenges. And this was her first stroke. Okay, because she had multiple strokes. And I told her doctor, no, I'm not going to let that happen. If anybody could make it through a stroke, my mom can. So you said um, a moment ago that you noticed gaps, you noticed inequities. What were some of the things that you noticed? The information being available Mm -hmm. that should have been readily available. I figured that our doctor knew your, your grandmother, my mom, for years. It was more personal. And you know the outcome, not only did she go in there on a stretcher, she came out walking and talking. So it worked. Praise the Lord. Give one for Jesus there too, because she fought. My mother is not someone who gets her information from memes, hearsay, uninformed family members, or medical expert Twitter. She religiously checks the CDC website and reads medical studies. CDC. NIH.gov, anything that's scholarly and that's, you know, documented and printed, we have to do the same thing you do. She checks the fine print on everything, which is why boys weren't allowed to call my house until I was 15 years old. That level of thoroughness is quite discouraging for teenagers, but that's a story for another day. Yet there is this persisting narrative that one of the reasons African-Americans harbor so much hesitancy about the vaccine is because of history and our own ignorance. The question is, would any of you just take the COVID vaccine right now? Anybody? Don? Nope. (laughs) Not the answer I was looking for. (laughs) But I never get sick because I sleep in my socks. This is not to say that some people aren't taking the vaccine because Amin told them that the vaccine contained a secret chip that would allow the government and Bill Gates to track all of their movements, even though, for the record, your cell phone does that. But the purported ignorance of black people is often inflated and harped upon in a way that inspires them to be dehumanized. It makes it easy for people to blame black people for conditions they didn't create. 
As for history, there are definitely some who haven't forgotten the infamous Tuskegee experiment. Tuskegee syphilis study. The Tuskegee syphilis study. People talk about Tuskegee all the time. The Tuskegee syphilis experiment. But a lot of people don't know what happened. In 1932, government doctors recruited 600 African-American men from Macon County, Alabama, under the promise of free health care. Most of them were sharecroppers and had never seen a medical professional. They were told that they were being treated for bad blood, when the truth was they were part of an experiment to study the effects of syphilis. We were young. I didn't know what it was all about. Me and my brother both joined in. The men were lied to and told they were receiving treatment when they weren't. And even when a treatment for syphilis was available, they still weren't given the cure because doctors wanted to study how the disease fully progressed in the human body. This experiment lasted until the 1970s. And what people don't know is the Office of the Surgeon General actually oversaw that study, the United States Public Health Service. This experiment has routinely been cited as the primary reason Black people are so skeptical of the vaccine. Not exactly. At least not according to Harriet A. Washington, the author of the outstanding book, Medical Apartheid, The Dark History of Medical Experimentation on Black Americans from Colonial Times to the Present. The invocation of Tuskegee is a mixture of ignorance and laziness. People are unaware of the actual history. People are unaware, even experts in the history of medicine, have successfully elided the experience of African-Americans from the history of medicine. And therefore, even experts in the field don't know of the four centuries of abuse that have characterized the tenure of African-Americans in the medical system. Hundreds of experiments have been done. Many of them, maybe most of them, far worse than Tuskegee. When my mother and I discussed her vaccine fears, she didn't immediately bring up the Tuskegee experiment or gynecologist James Marion Sims, a doctor who performed surgeries on enslaved black women's reproductive systems without anesthesia. She brought up her back surgery. And as you know, I had major back surgery. And my neurosurgeon, you know, she was black. After she operated, she passed my care on to an associate who was white. And this associate, discharged me from the hospital, did not follow up with anything that I had those things. And, you know, major back surgery. When you came to visit me, I was hospital, re-hospitalized, what, twice? What year was this? This would have been 2012. 2012, okay. 11 or 12. Uh, I think it was 12, yeah. And I'm sure it's because of the color of my skin because I had to push and get everything. It was not until another white patient in the next bed on my second stay, being readmitted for the same surgical uh, post-op problems, said, you had no business sending this woman home without anything. When the white doctor came in there to see me, she said, I cannot believe you sent her home like this. She also brought up my great-grandmother, Juanita, who died when she was just 40 years old. I never got to know her because she died when your grandmother was a young girl. But she had diabetes. That for black folks in that day was a death sentence because they didn't get the same care. So we know a problem existed. And and I maybe think that's why I wanted to be a doctor going to medicine, because your grandmother would recite that story to me a lot. And she never got over that. So if your great grandmother had the care that your grandmother had for diabetes, she would have lived a lot longer. 
my great grandmother being the person my middle name is after. <laughs> yes, Juanita. That's what your middle name for. My, you weren't supposed to tell everybody. Oh, no, I'm, I'm messing with you. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> The inequities my mother witnessed in the healthcare system crosses generations, and it's unrelated to economic or professional status. For example, one of the most jarring medical issues in the country right now is the number of Black women dying in childbirth. According to the Centers for Disease Control, Black women are three times more likely to die from pregnancy-related causes than white women. The CDC also cited structural racism and implicit bias as contributing factors. Elizabeth Williams, who plays for the WNBA's Atlanta Dream, is the daughter of a doctor and a nurse. And despite the medical lineage, her family hasn't been immune to bias either. Like, it's ironic because both of my parents work in medicine, but it's still different when you're actually the patient uh, or like your family member is a patient. I remember when my older sister was having some pain. And they just kind of kept writing it off. And she and my dad were adamant, like, this is real. And it ended up being a small clot. So I think the fact that we're constantly fighting and saying, no, this is real. No, this is real. No, this is real. is frustrating, even for people that are in the medical field. As author Harriet Washington explained to me, this ain't nothing new. This is a consistent pattern. This has always been the approach of, of U.S. medicine to ascribe poor outcomes with, among African-Americans to their own behavior, either their own behavior or to their own profoundly flawed bodies, because the companion to this is um, biological dimorphism. The idea, the conviction that African and African-Americans have very different bodies from white people. And so very often when you find disparate disease rates, which are clearly ascribable to the different treatments African-Americans get, instead what's evoked and what's studied are the differences in the bodies. That's always been the case for 400 years when we should be looking at the different treatments. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. On December 13th of 2020, my mother sent me the following text and the link to a story. Her text read, U of M virologist voted no on COVID-19 vaccine. She's black, female, and the only, and my mother put only in all caps, so this was serious business, the only person who voted no. Now, I don't normally like to attach emotions to text messages, but my mother seemed relieved that she wasn't the only one who thought something was up with the vaccine. Now she has someone very important confirming her suspicions, Ovita Fuller, who not only is a leading virologist, but a former pastor. She was on the Food and Drug Administration's Advisory Committee for Vaccine Authorization. She was one of the four people who voted no on the Pfizer vaccine initially. I admit this put me in a bit of a bind. There has to be more to this story, though, right? So I asked Dr. Fuller to explain. So let's go back to that moment. What was it that caused you to have such reservations about the Pfizer one? 
I was concerned about not having some essential information that I thought was important to people and particularly people of color who I knew had reservations about medical research. So my no was actually the only no that said, wait, not yet. We want to release this, but we're not ready to release it yet. Let's get a little bit more information. And we could do that by expanding the clinical trials to include physicians and medical first responders and those people in long-term rest homes, but in the study, not to let the entire population have access to vaccines. What were some of the other questions that you had about the Pfizer vaccine? What I wanted to know is in the 30,000 people that were in the Pfizer study or 40,000 in the Pfizer study, what was the breakdown of people with underlying conditions? Is there any autoimmunity set up? Um, so those were just questions that to me were very basic. And it's okay if you don't know, just tell me we're looking at that. It turns out that by the next week, Moderna, who was a week later, they answered some of those same questions because by that time, FDA had revised the process of reviewing the timing. They had given us much more time to ask questions that were really critical to having high uptake of this vaccine. When you voted no, what was the response in the medical community? Well, first of all, it was a strange beating in because, as I said, I thought that we were going to be able to explain why we voted yes or no. So immediately after the vote, the chair said, okay, the motion, the vote is 17 to four to one. The motion passes the meeting and pretty much thank you for your assistance. The meeting is adjourned and it was ended. And we were on Zoom, remember, or some platform like that. So I was like, wow, did that really happen? We're done. It's approved. Oh my goodness. Were you upset that more of your colleagues didn't ask the questions that you had? I don't know if upset is the right word. I was surprised. Again, many of the colleagues had been on this panel before. And I wondered, am I being uh, unusually cautious? And when I thought about it, I was like, no, this is going into millions of people's arms. There are only two African American scientists on this panel. Now, my mother thought Dr. Fuller was her ace in the hole, but not quite. For one, Dr. Fuller gave her blessing to the Moderna vaccine. And secondly, my mother may have been a tad bit guilty of picking and choosing the information that supported her belief that the vaccine isn't to be trusted. You mentioned Dr. Fuller, who, by the way, I am interviewing. Change your tune. I can't wait to ask her that. <laughs> okay. She did. She did. But she said at the beginning, as I told you, that she was never a no. She was a need more information. <laughs> I know she wasn't a no. She said in the future, she went to all but promoting it. Anyway, let's not digress. Y'all know I won that argument, right? Okay. But I'll concede that my mother does have a point. There is a lot of conflicting information being thrown at people. Dr. Fuller explains that we should maintain some perspective. I think that what has happened is that because we've gotten so much false information, now we become so suspicious that even the things that we can't know, we expect, as you said, perfection. And there is no perfection. Nature is, is changing all the time. This is a fluid situation. And so the best that I can think of that we can do is to be honest and open and truthful with people, transparent, and give them the information and, and let them be grown up people to make decisions. It's a tough decision about whether you want to navigate COVID 
and try to let your immune system and your masking and distancing and trusting other people protect you. By the way, Dr. Filler has been fully vaccinated. And take a wild guess which vaccination shot she got. Here's a hit. It wasn't Moderna or Johnson & Johnson. You know, putting aside the news stories and even the medical information that you know, just boiling it down to the fear that you feel about what kind of reaction you could potentially have to a vaccine. This vaccine. To this vaccine, sorry. To this vaccine. To the shot, like I call it. What percentage of your reluctance to take this vaccine has to do with your fear for how your body may react to it? Actually, it's about uh, the bulk of it. It's about like 75 to 85% of that. And the government and Big Pharma, are you kidding? Yeah, I mean, the government and Big Pharma, they they produce everything that we take as medicine. And and the World Health Organization, I mean, you know, like, look at all the plant, Bill, Bill Gates, Moderna, come on, come on. I mean, nevertheless, it seems as if the majority of your fear is based off what it might do to you. Taking Bill Gates and all that stuff you set aside, there is a very real fear that you have about how you personally will react to this vaccine. Honestly, the information keeps changing, too, because at first they did say people with immune issues, they may have problems with it. It always changes conveniently. My mother is not unlike a lot of African-Americans who have pre-existing conditions and are worried about how their bodies will react and whether or not a vaccine that was developed so quickly can be trusted. Dr. Lisa Fitzpatrick, an infectious disease physician and founder of Grapevine Health, understands the uncertainty. During the pandemic, we have been holding Ask the Doctor sessions for a lot of our seniors and people living in you know, underserved parts of D.C. and Maryland. And we get a lot of questions and some of the questions may seem fairly basic. You know, we've really hyped this up. You know, the scientists were saying it's not possible to create a vaccine in record time like this. And then we did it. So that created a lot of um, skepticism and hesitancy. You know, people saying, oh, I thought you said we couldn't. And then here we have one. So why would they trust it? So now that we hopefully have a better understanding of why the hesitancy exists, let's address the myths and the conspiracy theories, something Reverend Al Sharpton has gotten an earful about. As somebody who is such a leader in the faith-based community, the research shows that there's a lot of hesitancy in that community in particular. Are you hearing a lot of misinformation? And, and if you are, like, what are some of the theories that people have that you've heard um, that are ill-informed about this vaccine. I hear a lot of theories that it is a conspiracy to wipe out black folk. And I counter it by saying that why are all these white folks dying? Are you telling me that hundreds of thousands of whites are dying just to get some of us? I hear uh, that there is no COVID-19. This is just some government information to put out there to scare us. But then how do you explain over 560,000 deaths? I argue that I hear that 
uh, this uh, was something that they planted in Africa, not China. You hear all kinds of theories. With social media, anybody that dreams up something, some of it to get attention, to get clicks, some of it because they sincerely believe it. The misinformation is something you have to count on. And staying on the subject of dispelling myths, while I know we just spent a lot of time unpacking why Black people are side-eyeing this vaccine, I purposely waited until this point in the podcast to tell you something important. Black people are not the group that's most hesitant to take the vaccine. It's white Republican men. An NPR PBS Marist poll this week finding 49% of Republican men don't intend to get it. Convincing skeptics to get the vaccine is easier said than done, especially in rural areas that are heavily Republican. Yeah, I'm not going to get the COVID vaccine. I don't feel like I, I don't know. I just feel like I'm good. So maybe it doesn't work and they're simply not telling you that. Well, you hate to think that, especially if you've gotten two shots. How do you feel about how the media has covered the vaccine hesitancy in our community. You would think the face of hesitancy during this whole COVID-19 pandemic is the black face. That is not true. Yes, there are some that are hesitant, but we are nowhere near the numbers that they project. It is not a black problem. It is an American problem. Our problem is based on some views of history that is real, but do not connect to this in a direct way. Their hesitancy is based on some political encouragement from some con artists that just happen to be holding office. Is the media doing a bad job of not focusing enough on who's really hesitant about this vaccine? Before I finish indicting the media, which I do sometimes and you have to do it when they're wrong, but let's not forget, it's not only the news media. They're getting this message from people who should know what they're talking about. They're getting the message from medical journals and medical experts who simply don't know or choose to ignore the history of African-American abuse in this country. You don't need research to understand that most vaccine skeptics in this country are white. They are so much more numerous. It's clear that white vaccine skepticism that is driving the problem. So why is the strict scrutiny on African-American behavior? Why are we not scrutinizing on white vaccine rejectors? The fact is that vaccine skepticism is rife in this country. Now, if you're wondering why I just dedicated so much time to discussing why Black people fear the vaccine, Michigan Lieutenant Governor Garland Gilchrist provides a very sobering reminder. Black folks make up less than 14% of the population, 13.6% in the state. But we accounted for 40% of the deaths in the first two months of the pandemic this time last year. We accounted for 38% of the people who got COVID-19. And this is personal. I've lost 27 people to COVID-19 in my own life. And I got perfectly healthy friends who dropped dead in two weeks from this virus. So, uh, Reverend Sharpton, um, you were among those who initially were hesitant about taking the vaccine. Just give me some idea of what your hesitancy, you know, what were some of your concerns? I was hesitant, one, to take it because I was not sure of the 
conflicting stories that were being told. You had uh, those uh, on the right, led by then President Trump, that was uh, saying it wasn't necessary. You had those on the left uh, that were saying this could be uh, another Tuskegee. And as I started looking into it, and I realized that one of the people that developed the vaccine was Dr. Corbett, a black woman for credibility and supported by a black woman who heads the Morehouse School of Medicine. That relaxed me and that made me gradually come in. That's right. It was a black doctor that helped develop this vaccine, Dr. Kismikia Corbett. And remember, my earlier guest, Ovita Fuller, was on the panel that helped get the vaccine authorized. That alone makes it a lot different from the Tuskegee experiment. But with all the concerns, reservations, and misinformation swirling around, are Black people really getting the right messaging? Are they really getting the right information? COVID-19 has changed how we hang with our girls. Now it's time to take the first step that lets us get back to girls tripping instead of solo sipping. Now it's time to take the first step that lets us get back to talking smack with a side of mac and cheese. Now it's time to take the first step that lets us get back to brunching instead of late night munching. It seems we are. According to the Kaiser Family Foundation, the percentage of black people who either received a vaccination shot or want one rose from 41% to 55% from February to March. But despite the hopeful trend, white people are still getting vaccinated at twice the rate of black people. Dr. Fitzpatrick blames poor strategy in the beginning. We didn't have a plan. And it's not like we didn't know we would need to distribute these vaccines to the communities. We had many months to create a plan and to get our house in order. And I don't know if people were asleep at the wheel or they just didn't think of it. I don't, it it baffles me that we could expend all this time, energy and money to create vaccines and have no plan for getting them out to the community. I think the second issue is that we didn't communicate properly about these vaccines and about the rollout. Uh, We didn't prepare to make sure people understood the vaccine process, the research process, and the message. It can't be one size fits all. Messengers matter in a pandemic. Reverend Al Sharpton and Dr. Fitzpatrick both believe the messaging to the Black community needs to be more nuanced. As a reverend, how do you think the message should be tailored to the Black faith community about the vaccine? A lot of our people are more superstitious than religious. I'm talking about church. And we cannot allow them to replace religious faith with superstition. And they're going by superstition. The Lord will make a way. He already did. Gave us a Black woman like Corbett to help build a vaccine. That's the Lord, too. And you have to tell them the Lord makes things available to you. And you need to use what the Lord made available to you. And that vaccine is one of them. We have to ensure, uh, especially in the Black community, uh, the trusted messengers, not just churches. Churches are very important, but a lot of the people working on the front lines, uh, food delivery, um, economic support, housing support. These people already have built trust with a lot of the communities we're serving in front and are trying to 
increased vaccine acceptance among them. So why not use trusted messengers? When I told you that I got it, <laughs> what did you think about that? Yeah, I was in shock, but that's okay. Why were you in shock? I didn't think you would do it. And so when you grow a third boob, you start turning green in 10 years. I'm going to say, you should have took that COVID shit. I'm going to start making a three boob bra. I was about to say, will you at least help me shop for a three boob bra if that's the case? <laughs> and so my, what would you say to, there are people who are like you who still feel very reluctant about this vaccine, what would you say to them? I think that if you're not going to get the vaccinated, we are to be responsible. We have to remain isolated. If we're going to pull up the big girl draws and, and pull up your big man pants and stay your ass at home. That's the choice that we made. So what would it take to convince you to get vaccinated? I want to know. Wait, uh, before you answer that question, mom, Every guest on today's podcast has a special message just for you. Ma'am, I understand why, why people have questions, why you have questions about it. And, and just again, the questions are legit, so I'm not going to run away from that. If you get vaccinated, you are very, very unlikely to go to the hospital. Like 99.9999999% of people who get vaccinated don't even go to the hospital, let alone have get end up in the ICU on a ventilator or worse, pass away. This vaccine is about access to life and access to the future. And ma'am, I still think you still got some ways ahead of you. There's a lot to say, but I think the most important thing to say is that vaccines are not perfect any more than any other medical modality is perfect. We're not talking about perfection. What's really important is that we have to accept a certain degree of uncertainty. But at the end of the day, like we can't force anyone to get vaccinated. We can just tell them the benefits of doing so. I would say to your mom, take the leap of faith, which is what I did. That's the least risky thing to do such that she can still be available for her family and her friends. And I want her to feel safe in doing that. The vaccines help you feel so much more safe. During his Oscars acceptance speech, Daniel Kaluuya uh, embarrassed his mom by mentioning that had his mom not done the wild thing with his dad, he wouldn't be there to win an Oscar. It's incredible. My mom met my dad. They had sex. It's amazing. Like, you know what I'm saying? I'm here. Which is just facts. So, in the spirit of embarrassing mothers, maybe my mother's boo in her head, that would be Reverend Al Sharpton, can provide the closing argument. Anything for Mrs. Hill's daughter, don't sit in the back of the bus, Mom. Come on and let's demand equity by doing it ourselves. Because holding on to old superstition is not black progress. So I'll ask again, mom, what will it take for you to get the vaccine? I'm not getting it. <laughs> I'm just. I thought you want to see me again. I do. Which is why. I, I want to see you too. <laughs> I mean, I wanted to come. I couldn't see Thanksgiving or Christmas or anything. My birthday's coming up. So, you know, this is serious. And, you know, Jamel, your mom is very dairy. Interferon. Are you kidding? That's what they treat cancer patients with. You know what that did to my body? Okay, but I did it. When I conducted this interview with my mother, I was holding a little secret. 
I was going to surprise her for her birthday by coming home. Yet another reason I wanted to get fully vaccinated. Other than arm soreness, I didn't have any side effects from the vaccine. But even if I had experienced the worst of the side effects, it would have been worth it for this moment with my mother on her birthday. So I'm about to surprise my mother, who I have not seen since January of 2020. So it is April 11th, 2021. It's her birthday. She has no idea I'm coming home to visit her. So fresh vaccination. That's all I got to say. <laughs> Everybody don't recognize your own child. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness, look at my man! Oh, you guys! He really did recognize her own child. I'll be honest, I wasn't totally certain my mother would let me anywhere close to her. I was fully prepared to just come to her front gate, wave to her. Because my mother has been very diligent about not letting people in her house and not seeing anyone, period. She did let me and my husband inside her front yard. We spent most of the time on our front deck wearing our mask, being socially distanced six feet apart. Come on! What are we doing? Do you want to sit out here? Like, we don't want to, you know. Now, even though my mother and I are on opposite sides when it comes to our feelings about the vaccine, I have learned so much from her hesitancy, justified concerns, and her fears. If not for her, I not only wouldn't have researched the vaccine as thoroughly as I did, I wouldn't have been as inspired to do this special podcast. I hope those of you listening, especially those who still are reluctant, learn that you aren't alone and that being cautious is okay. You shouldn't be judged for that. But I also hope you learn that it's important that you have the right information and put yourself in the best position to make an informed decision. Yeah, so... Because you're my daughter and you were adamant. So I will, I hear you. So I will look at some more data the other way. Okay. <laughs> and thank you for having me. I love you, baby. Amen. Love you too, Ma. Enjoy the rest of your day. For more on this conversation, check out our follow-up episode this Thursday, May 6th, led by Bakari Sellers on the Bakari Sellers podcast. He'll go beyond the hesitancy and unpack the deep-rooted issues of access in the community. You can find additional info on the COVID-19 vaccines at theshot.page. I want to thank all my guests who appeared on this special episode. And of course, a special heartfelt thank you to my mom for opening up and sharing her experiences. Y'all be easy and get vaccinated. Okay.